Abigail Rohrer is a highly regarded. What do you go by? Engraver? A wood engraver who doesn't use wood, who uh, started a press. The, the Lone Oak Press. It has to be The Lone the Oak lone Press. Oak because press. there is another Lone Oak Press featuring my own engravings, essentially. Okay. So I choose the text, whatever, you know, excites me. And, and when did you start that up? Um, I did my first one in 1989. Then I did my second one right after that. Why did you do it? I love books. Okay. And I wanted to make a book. My own book. And I knew a bunch of poets. Well, the Lynx House Press in Amherst, Massachusetts. I just started doing covers for them back in the 70s. And so I got to know all these poets and everything. And so I wanted to publish some of their work. You know, I wanted to illustrate it. And so I did Christopher Howell, who lives in Washington State now. And um, another guy, uh, Wayne Udy. And he did something on Native Americans. My first two books were uh, Three Coyote Tales by Wayne Udy that had hand-colored etchings in it. And then the second one was this one, The Wu General Writes from Far Away, a poem about war and love and loss and longing. And, but I like Christopher's work. Now, we could back up a bit further than that. Did you train as an engraver or a... No, I went, I went to art school. I went to Rhode Island School of Design and majored in printmaking, mostly okay. etching. Uh, after I left school, I moved... I was from Philadelphia, but I moved up here to Massachusetts, got a job as an art teacher, and started getting to know people in the Northampton Amherst area. You know, Leonard Baskin was in that area. So, in the big book arts area. Yeah. And so I was in a gallery in Northampton, and I met Barry Moser. And I was really taken by his engravings. And, of course, I was taken by Leonard Baskin's engravings. As a matter of fact, the very first engraving I ever bought when I was in high school was a Leonard Baskin engraving, which I will show you. Ah, we'll take a photograph of that. Oh, yeah, that's Of Walt Whitman. And I have since illustrated Whitman twice. I bought that in high school. How prophetic. That is so interesting, isn't it? It's sort of showing his blood vessels and and arteries Mm. all up and down his legs and the musculature. And his face is so interesting. But that's Whitman. Baskin style. I connect Baskin with Ted Hughes. Oh, yeah. uh, As many do. Some of the books... That they collaborated on. So obviously then the idea of your creative output connected with poetry and the printed word mm-hmm. had an appeal early on. It did. And it why did. was that? You know, probably subconsciously. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, why would the very first thing that I ever bought be a wood engraving when I didn't do my first wood engraving until, jeez, I don't know, maybe... 1980s or something. But I've always been a reader and reading things that most people don't read, i.e., like one of my favorite books is War and Peace. (laughs) I named my son Andrew after Prince Andre. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't get better than that. You know, I've read almost everything Tolstoy's written. It's completely absorbing. It's brilliant. Etching, maybe paying homage to what you respect. 
and, and making it permanent? Well, I think I found out early on that I can't paint. Okay. But I love to draw. Right. And so drawing translates well into etching, and it also translates well into wood engraving. And, and actually, in high school, I had some fabulous art teachers. And uh, we studied the German Expressionists. And we would do woodcuts, and I would do them in the style of Barlock. And we'd studied art history. It was a college course in high school. Yeah. And then I got to college and didn't learn shit. <laughs> so I've always, I guess, had this penchant for the graphic arts, right. let's say. But again, connecting it with poets and poetry, mm-hmm. why is that? Just because that's what is done? Or... No, it was, it spoke to me, I guess. You wanted to connect with a chosen poet. This was a way for you to to connect with them mm-hmm. and to immortalize them. I don't think I thought of it that way. I think I wanted to make a book. I wanted to use the text that I really respected. Yeah. And also a text that I could get some good images to go with. So you kind of uh, inspired you to yeah. create something that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in that little one, I, I think yeah. there's some decent engravings in that. Uh, like that one. That, no, that's a pretty good. That's lovely. It's like a, a woman's hair that's turned into a peacock mm. feathers. Yeah, there's a sort of a native feel to that. But she's oriental. Mm. There are dead soldiers mm. lying on the ground in that one. Because, uh, like I say, it's about war. Right, with war flowers. That's a rose. So um, I did these first two books, and then I didn't do another book for 14 years. And in the meantime, I was doing a lot of illustrations with pen and ink, uh, mostly nature books. These would have been for established publishers? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Making a nice income for yeah. yourself. But got to a point where I just couldn't get excited about what I was doing anymore, and... When that happened, obviously it was showing in the work that I was doing because all of a sudden I wasn't getting jobs anymore. But I was kind of glad because I just couldn't do it anymore. Tired of the routine. Yeah, nothing excited me anymore that I was asked to do. It just became a chore. And so it dried up. And that's when I met Jan and Crispin. Elstead. How did that happen? What do you call it? Is it serendipity? Is it... Fate is it? I Fate's know. good, yeah. So they were soliciting engravings for this book, Engrain, Contemporary Wood Engraving in North America. Okay. So uh, I sent in one engraving of a very funky thing called The Bonsai Society Takes Itself Very Seriously. And it's these women from old photographs sitting there holding their bonsai plants with this... These looks on their faces. Yeah, it should be. Anyway, I don't think I've ever sold a single solitary one of those engravings. Rosemary Kilborn, isn't she Canadian? She's Canadian, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lovely book. So that's the only one I sent in. (laughs) Right. Crispin absolutely loved it. Theater, humor, and, you know, he loves stuff like that. So he was really drawn to that. And I've never sold a single solitary one of them. I mean, I like it. Right. And Crispin likes it. 
Well, that's all that counts then. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so then he asked me. They were doing this ingrained editions. Okay. You know, focusing on one artist. That's right. So they did a sort of a summary. Yeah, they did. First they did Gerard Brenderer Brandis, yeah. Canadian wood engraver. Yep. They asked me to be the second engraver in the series. What well, a boost. It must have been a real boost oh, for yeah. you. Yeah. So I, I said, well, yeah, <laughs> of course. But I didn't have very many engravings. Then I called up the guy that I hired to print my engravings, and I said, Daryl, this is Daryl Hyder of Sunhill Press down in North Brookfield, okay. Massachusetts. And I said, Daryl, I'm going to have to have you print about 40 engravings. And he goes, I don't want to do that. And I go, oh, my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? He says, but I was just talking to someone, mm -hmm. and they have a press for sale. So I went down, saw the press, and bought it. So I think this was in 1999 or 1998 or something like that. So I bought my Vandercook number four. Took three months to get the hang of it. Whipped out these engravings for the book. And it's been nonstop ever since. On a whole different track. So that book obviously created a, a real interest in what you were doing and a demand for it. Yeah, I started getting um, jobs with other fine press printers. You know, That's all I do now are engravings for other printers. Uh, you know, and plus my own books. Right. And you're not bored yet with that. Not at all. Why not? Because um, a lot of fine press printers give you a free hand. They mm. say, do whatever you want. So they want you to read the text and then you just let your imagination wild. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If, you're, if you're being a told what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, then I guess. So you don't like being told what to do? No, I don't. Right. <laughs> Well, um, um, I'll show you um, Bob Barris, okay. a press on Scroll Road. I do a lot of work with him. Uh, here's Walt Whitman showing his face again. Yes, that's my Whitman. And then there's another one in there that Lorca. Bob loves. Uh, he's just a master printer. And uh, where does he hail from? He's in Ohio. Yeah, the paper is just lovely and soft and porous. Well, he, he dampens. Oh, look at that. That's you? Yeah, I did that. Yeah. I love that. The moon with the dark clouds surrounding it. Bob is just brilliant. Hmm. So why doesn't it why doesn't it bore you then? Why not? Well, I'm doing what I love. So it And makes... I'm drawing what I want to draw. And I'm engraving what I want to engrave. And I'm doing a lot of experimental stuff now. Which is scary, but fascinating. I'm doing a lot of um, multi-block color engraving now. I'm doing uh, reduction printing. What's that? You print a color, and then you cut away the block, and then you print again, and then you cut away more of the block, and you print again. So, you know, you can't go back. Uh, hmm. You want to see an example? Yeah. Uh, this is my latest book called The King of the Alps. It's what we call a slim volume. It's got a lovely sort of sparkly, uh, concrete-y kind of... Exactly. Um, I spray-painted a, um, a, a gray paper to make it look like granite. Faux stone paint. Yes, and a lovely gray leather spine. 
see this light gray? The, all of this, the it's rock, not, was printed yeah. in this light gray. Then I cut away that top, and I printed the same gray again. There. Then I cut this away. This is a different block. Mm -hmm. And added a little brown to it, and printed that again. So that's a reduction print. So and I did that with a lot of the engravings in those. And what do you like about this uh, more than you might like about just regular black and white? Oh, well, it's just fun experimenting, seeing okay. what the colors can do. Another book that I did, I was going to do most of the engravings in color. I, at this point, I was just doing um, hand coloring. But the, the engravings look so beautiful in black and white that the color didn't work. So it all depends. In this book, they needed the color, I believe. Now, what is it that you look for in, like, what, and I always, I, I like to shift personas here from someone who admires great printing to someone who acquires and wants to acquire. What is so good about this? If there's a, if there are two books side by side, of course you have to love the image. I suppose that's number one. But in terms of what makes it really good, the quality of it, what do I look for? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> See, I buy a lot of art, and I buy a number of books that I can afford. I have to get... It has to excite me. It has to excite me. So it's less... Uh, it's less a sort of quality issue. Oh, well, no, and quality quality is a big part of but it, But what, what is the quality, then? What are the qualities you're looking for? I love drawing, good drawing. So they have to know how to draw. You know, it has to be obvious in the print. Um, but let's just back up, then. Obvious in its sort of very similitude? What's obvious? I don't know, it's just the way I see that they know what they're doing. <laughs> okay, Honestly, so I, know the, I can't explain It's almost like it takes one to know one, kind of. Mm, but possibly. I don't know, I don't know how, but I, I love and admire certain fine You press must books. know. Yeah, you... But no, I'm, I'm asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. It's all. You know, you know the phrase, um, I don't know much about art, but I know what I like? Yes. I think that's valid <laughs> in okay. a lot of respects. Yes, it's subjective, it's, uh, yeah. it's whatever turns your crank, then. Yeah, I mean... Okay, so there's not something you would say, oh, that's dreadful from a technical standpoint. Oh, yeah, I could say that. For but how, so how is that? It doesn't line up, for example? Like, what... What's oh. dreadful technically? Oh, dreadful technically. Okay, I'm going to tell sure you about good. a book I saw. Okay. That had these etchings in it. They were so incredibly bad. They didn't fit the text. They were poorly drawn. The applied colors were muddy. They looked extremely amateurish. So to me, that's a bad print. Other people loved it. Right. So. And other people, meaning people who knew what good printing was. Yes. 
So, so as you say, I know. So how do you explain it? I, yeah. You okay. know, it's all personal, I okay. think. So what works of yours are you most proud of? Oh, I would say this one is the one that I, this was a real labor of love. The one that I did uh, 14 years after I did my other one. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, illustrating of Henry David Thoreau's work. And I got to know the editor of these books really, really well. His name was Brad Dean. So I got to know Thoreau really well. So I was actually inspired by his work and doing the books. These were trade books. One's called Faith and Seed. One's called Wild Fruits. And so I wanted to take it a little step farther and do my own book with Thoreau's work. So no one had ever concentrated on Vernal Pools. So I read his uh, journal and put together some text dealing with Vernal Pools. This was a real labor of love. I mean, I went out and I caught those frogs. And um, <laughs> now, what is it about water, particularly clear water, and, and what's underneath it that attracts you? You're looking at the appropriate one. This is probably the most abstract engraving in the book of two salamanders, half in and half out of water. And I just love that. It's sort of abstract, but it's sort of realistic. But see, some people can't even figure out what it is. Can you yeah, see? Well, I can because sort you know how when something is half out of water, it gets like this little halo of yes, the water. Yes, reflective. These were mm. my own image ideas. I, you know, I could get as detailed as I wanted. No, it's a magnificent piece of work. So there's 27 engravings in that. So I would say this is my uh, favorite book. Did you do the cover as well? Oh, I had it made with marble paper. I thought it looked like water. <laughs> <laughs> There's water again. Right? Water again, yes. You haven't reflected much on why you're drawn to water. It just, you are. I'm just drawn to beautiful images. And water so seems to fit that bill. Yeah. Well, see, people aren't going to know what we're talking about. Why not? Because we haven't talked about the book that I want to do on Manitoulin. No, but uh, we did talk about ponds here, so they're they're not going to be totally out to lunch. But you're right. We haven't talked about your future project. One that you've told me is the reason that you think you were put on, put on this earth for. My life's work, I think. Yeah, yeah it's the same really, idea, isn't it? Well, no, I wasn't put on earth to do that. It's... Okay, Just what were you put on earth for? Thing. To procreate? Now, there's a good question. <laughs> Why are we here? No clue. Okay, but you feel that strongly about those yeah, images from Manitouan Island. Yeah, for Looking me. through the water. At yeah, eroded cedar. You were blessed to, in this case, have seen something that fills you with a desire to replicate it in a way that will be around longer than you will. Yeah, it, it just really, really excited me with its beauty. I just yeah. really... To the point where... I really, really, really want to draw it. So you want to impose your humanity on it. Why do you want to do that? I love to draw. 
Okay. And I really want to draw those images. I want every tiny little detail. Do you want to make it look exactly like it looks in real life or not? Well, it won't. But yeah, I want to get pretty close. I do like to do things that look pretty realistic. But these are realistic in an abstract way. Or abstract yes. yeah, in a yeah, realistic yeah. way. Yes, it's like a work of art that isn't quite real, but it, it is real. Yeah. And then, you know, what's going to happen is when I'm working out the colors, mm -hmm. that's going to change it a lot. But you think, when you look at it, you think, this is going to make a really good book. Mm. That's how you look at the world? No. No. As a matter of fact, well... I mean, they could hold up as individual prints. I just want to make a book. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put them together because they tie together. You want to impose order on the world. Yeah. Your order. My order on my world. Because you like to control things. Yes, I do. <laughs> mm. So that by the end of your life, you'll be able to look at the, your books and say, here's the sense that I've made of the world. Hmm. Yeah, my own sense of my own world. And I'm proud of that. Yeah, I would say. And other people can hear. You can see my the way I've seen the world. And if you don't like it, oh well. Go find someone else's version, vision. Because <laughs> yeah. right. I just did what I can do. Yeah. And really enjoyed it. And really lucky. Enjoyed every part of it. Yeah, even the hard parts. The collaborating part, you've enjoyed that too? Oh, I like that. Meet so many interesting people. You know, the fine press book world and wood engraving world, they're very small ponds. Here's that pond again. <laughs> You're right. But everyone is just so interesting and so nice. Yeah. Um, I've never yet met a wood engraver who just, you know, welcomes you into their home and... They do. Oh, they do. They're, yeah, wood engravers are the nicest people in the world. They really are. Maybe because we're all, we work like monks. Yeah. So when you meet someone who understands what you're doing, you know, it's like floodgates are open. Well, that and the fact that you're alone a lot of the time, because yeah. it is a solitary calling, isn't it? Mm, definitely. And I like that solitarian. Solitariness? Solitariness. Like Sol being alone sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the history. We've talked about some of the works. I don't know. I didn't show you everything. How many are there altogether? Well, I showed you this one. Yeah, and this one, again, was of Woodland Pools, Spring Holes, and Ditches. By Henry David Thoreau. Sorry, the first one, then, that you showed me was The Woo General Writes from Far Away by Christopher Howell. That's your second book. What's your first book? It was Three Coyote Tales by Wayne Udy. And we did talk about these books, too, right? Bob Barris's Walt Whitman book. And King of the Alps, my latest book. But I want to talk about what led up to the King of the Alps. It was this book. See, that's a, a companion piece. You haven't walked around my house yet, but I am 
what I call a mad woman gardener. Okay. But this is another slim volume <laughs> called Mimpish Squinnies. That sounds like the kind of language that Lewis Carroll might use. Mm. Well, Reginald Farrer was a British garden writer from the same time. You know, they didn't have great photography in those days. So when he was describing a plant, he had to do it with words. So he wrote this two-volume thing on the English rock garden. And I'm a rock gardener. Some of his things are really, really funny. So these are plants that he hated. You know, the way he describes them. Anthropomorphic and uh, absurd and funny. So I kind of... uh, Yeah, these are fabulous. Yeah, had fun with that. Now, did you make up the Latin terms or did he... No, no, that's the real real plants. Yeah. Okay. And And I tried to... I either grew the plant or got some herbarium sheets to see what these plants look like. Because I tried to keep them looking like they're supposed to, but then, obviously... This is the Rubus australis with a bunch of jaws like shark heads growing out of uh, where, where the flowers actually are supposed to be. He's he says, amongst the brambles that are also the bush lawyers of New Zealand. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so he didn't mention, oh, he does mention sharks. Yes, okay. Of those that sharks. Was... Oh, he did mention sharks. He did, yeah. Vicious and ivorine as those of sharks, armed with insatiable little teeth as numerous, vicious and ivorine as those of sharks, though not so large. Uh, But he he just gets carried away. He's really funny. So, again, yes, these are all flowers that he really disliked. Yeah. And this was my first foray into... First real serious foray into multi-block color printing. And this is 2007. Yeah. So the King of the Alps is one plant that he loved. I just felt that I should Even the score a bit, right? Yeah, I see. But you know what? This uh, mimpish squinnies, it's pretty hard to beat these. You can't help but laugh and smile when you look at these. But I'm now done with Reggie. I mean, I definitely like his writing a lot. And is there a a society? There must be some people who admire his work that must have loved what you did with it. The Rock Garden Societies, you know, they all Mm. know who he is because he was a plant explorer. But I, you know, I didn't show these to Rock Garden Societies. (laughs) Well, there's only how many of them are there? There were only 40 of that one and 60 of this one. Okay. Yeah. And they're expensive. That's the thing, you know, it's a bit like William Morris, who wanted to make stuff for the masses, and yet only the very rich could afford his stuff. I know. But, you know, they take two years. Well, that's it. i got to recoup my losses. I do have to show you this. This is the deluxe edition of King of the Alps, and I went overboard on this thing, and I've got to show it to you. And this, actually, parts of this were a lot of fun. It's like a quadruple decker or more. Yeah. So you've got the book. You've got the box. you get got the box. Beautiful black, silkish box. Mm-hmm. An essay on me trying to grow the plant. It's very, very difficult to grow. Mm-hmm. And it did eventually die. There's its oh, picture death. in death. In each of these, there were 14, I put an original botanical watercolor. 
which I'll never do again. You did this? Of watercolor, of the plant, you know, as, yeah. like in a botanic illustration. So they're all unique, original. Well, I tried to make them all look alike, but of course, if you put them next to each other, they yeah. don't look at them yeah. anyway. It almost looks like a cactus, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. What's the name of it? Eritrichium nanum, king of the Alps. Then this is a suite of prints. Plus I did one extra one. I took a bunch of the cut up blocks and I did a pattern paper just for fun. It does feel like William Morris here a bit. <laughs> so that was just, let's say a release from all the registrations that I had to do. I suppose there are various uh, fine press book dealers that carry this, or they can go directly to your website, right? Yep, uh, book dealers it. have it, and you can buy direct from me. And plus, you know, I go to book fairs. Right, which must be kind of fun. It is. Which fairs? Codex, Codex Oxford. Oxford, and uh, Oak Knoll. Those Oak are the Knoll. only three that I go to. Then this was the fun thing this little drawer, and <laughs> I made a fake herbarium sheet. Now, do you know what an herbarium no, sheet is? No, I don't. You know, you go out into the wild and you collect a plant. Then you press, press it, and then you put the collection data on it. And uh, a lot of universities have herbarium collections, you know, for research and whatnot. So they've actually pressed the physical flower in there? In real herbarium sheets. Yeah. This is not a real one. This is an image of this one is that you did. A fake herbarium sheet. This is what an herbarium sheet would look like. Uh, you would have the dead plant. Mm -hmm. So that's an engraving of a dead plant, and you would have the plant Tapes. attached with <laughs> linen tape. Yeah. So you've taped your engraving down. Yeah. Then you would have this label, and I imitated the author's handwriting. Then you would have a stamp made, so I engraved that stamp. Mm. Then, this is called a fragment folder. I made these little envelopes, and there's a piece of the real plant <laughs> in there. So this is what a real herbarium sheet would look like, only bigger. <laughs> this yeah. was a lot of fun. Then there's actually a way to tie these things, which... Again, uh, based on a tradition. Yeah, yeah, which... Okay could take me forever to figure out, so we won't worry about it right now. Great. So I really went overboard on the deluxe here. You went overboard because you just wanted to put as much into it as you could? Or kind of. You just wanted to make it the most fun? Yeah, follow through on a plant. I mean, this is what you kind of would do with a plant. You'd have a botanical drawing. You'd have an herbarium sheet. You want to, again, do justice like you're doing justice to authors, you're doing justice to this plant. Yeah, right. You're giving it everything you can. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did uh, two little things. Um, this is a Robert Frost. I met this collector of Robert Frost material, and I think he's got the largest collection of private hands in this country. Who's that? His name is Pat Alger. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's a country music songwriter. He loves wood engraving, and so it was his idea to reprint the very first Robert Frost Christmas card. So that's what we did. Isn't that fun? So he designed it. Okay. I printed it. I printed the engravings. Because usually I don't... Uh, I print engravings, but I usually don't print type. But 
I did then, and I'm probably going to do more of that now because my printer is not printing anymore. Who's your printer? It was Michael Russell. And if I have a big book to do and I need someone to print it, I'll get Art Larson next time. I don't know if you know Art. Mm-hmm. And then this is another little book I did, which I wrote, and it's not well written, but it's about aging. The matriarch of the forest. Yes, there's this huge tree in the woods. It's falling apart. <laughs> in your woods? Yes, yes. Okay. So it's sort of a symbol of me getting old and falling apart. <laughs> See, the woman who saved the woods behind my house went into a rest home, and the nurses painted her fingernails this bright, bright red. And they were so proud of themselves. Oh, look at her fingernails. Doesn't she look great? That woman would never in a million years have painted her fingernails that brilliant red. So this, these red beads were thrown up into the tree, and I couldn't get them out. And um, to me, that was... Uh, symbol of the way that this woman was treated Mm. in her later years. Mm. So that was just something I had to do. Just a little something. And finally, what you're working on next, we've talked about the Manitouan Island, but you've got one project in between now and then, and that is? Uh, It's called Not So Long Ago, and it's about the extinction of three species and the near extinction of an iconic American species, the American bison. And it all stemmed from a couple of paragraphs in a children's book that I read that was written about 1889, basically saying that the dodo was so stupid and so slow that it deserved to be beaten to death and become extinct. And it made me angry, and so I kind of wanted to do something on that subject, how in a very, very short time we can destroy an entire species that's been here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So that's my next book. So you're going to write that wrong, or try well, to. <laughs> I'm just going to let them know how I feel. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time. Well, it was a pleasure. Nice to meet you. Likewise. I'll be speaking with uh, Abigail Rohrer, who is here at her home with me or vice versa, in Petersham, Massachusetts, the site of her The Lone Oak Press. Thanks again. Thank you.